Coming up, a message from the pulpit of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina, by Elder Michael Goins. For information about Bethel Church, please visit our website at BethelPBC.us. Call your attention this morning to the 12th chapter of Hebrews, reading verses 25 to 29. See then that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape. If we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. He says in this fifth and final warning passage in the Hebrew letter, See then that you refuse not him that speaketh. Now, this expression at the end of Hebrews is reminiscent of the way the book started. It's like we have two bookends between the content, the main content of the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 12, verse 25, which both refer to God speaking. Our God is a God who speaks. You may remember back in the first chapter, in the first verse, he says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Really, the theme of Hebrews could be boiled down to this. God has spoken. How will you respond? Do you remember the scene in the Wizard of Oz where the little man behind the curtain, before he was revealed, would say, The mighty Oz has spoken. Well, I'm telling you, dear friends, that the ultimate word that should engage our attention is the word of God. God has spoken. See then that you refuse not him that speaketh. And throughout the book of Hebrews, we're reminded that Christianity is a revealed religion. Our ideas do not come from personal intuition. They are not gathered from public opinions. Our convictions are not dictated by the political pundits or the various social media platforms. But you and I, my beloved, are people of the word. We're people of the book. We're people who give ear to the God who has spoken once and for all by his son. God has spoken. Used to be a commercial when I was a boy that said, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. In other words, what he says is economically valid and viable. I'm telling you, dear friends, no man has an opinion that could possibly rival the truth that God has revealed in his word. So see then that you refuse not him that speaketh. In other words, the question that this statement poses to us this morning is, to whom are you listening in your life? Now, there are voices aplenty in our world. Would you agree? Everywhere you turn, people are speaking, wanting your 
attention. Listen to me, I have the answer. Notice this, you know, everywhere we turn, there are voices vying for our attention. The Christian is somebody who needs to learn to distinguish between all of the competing voices of men and hear the word of God, hear him. Do you remember the baptism of Jesus? The Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear you him. In other words, you listen to him. And I suggest, dear friends, that it's not the pundits, it's not the social media gurus, it's not the university professors, but it's God's word which has the truth. Jesus said, Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. And throughout Hebrews, he has emphasized the importance of listening to God. Are you listening to God in your life? It's a very important question. Am I listening to God? You say, well, everybody has his or her own opinion. Well, what you think or what I think really doesn't matter, but what God says matters everything. God's word is the truth. You say, I don't know where to find truth in this world. Maybe it's on Facebook. Maybe it's on Instagram. Maybe it's on TikTok. If you want to find truth, my friends, turn to the revelation of God in Scripture. For God has revealed himself. He's spoken. Have you ever been around somebody that just wouldn't talk and you thought, I just wish this person would say something so I could get to know him or I could get to know her? You know, through a person's communication, they reveal how they think. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I'm saying, my beloved, God has told us truth. He's told us what he's like. Perhaps you say, I just wonder what God is really like. Well, read your Bible, for God has spoken. You say, I just wonder, is there an afterlife? Well, don't listen to the TED Talks. Listen to the word of God, for God has spoke. Hear ye him. See then that you refuse not him that speaketh. You know, in Hebrews 1, he starts like that in the second chapter of Hebrews. He continues in the first verse by saying of the things which we've spoken. He said, don't let any of these things slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every disobedience received a just recompense reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by our Lord? Notice again the references to God's speech, God's revelation. In Hebrews 3, 7, he says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. That, my beloved, is a very relevant and contemporary word to you and me this morning. If you and I will listen to God, to the Holy Spirit, if you will hear his voice, then make sure you don't harden your heart or turn a deaf ear to it or say, I'm not going to listen to that, but be humble and meek before the word of God. Chapter 4, verse 2 of Hebrews. I'm just showing you a sampling in the book of Hebrews how that this thought of the speech of God, the word of God, the revelation of God is brought up again and again. He says, unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And then in chapter 11, verse 3, he says, through faith we understand that the Worlds were framed by the word of God. God spoke. That's how creation occurred. Hebrews 1.3 says that not only was it created by the word of God, but it is upheld by the word of his power. Jesus Christ right now, by that same word that they were made, maintains 
the created order. And what he's going to tell us in Hebrews 11 is that faith is really a response to the word of God. It's a believing response to the word of God. So the book of Hebrews has emphasized over and again the importance of God's word. And the question again is, are you listening to God? And I would encourage each one of us here this morning to take what people say with a grain of salt, but to test it all by the infallible, absolute truth of revealed religion in the word of God, God, for God has spoken and what he says matters more than what people think. Let God be true in the final analysis and every man a liar. Public opinion, people's opinions are a dime or dozen. Opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. But my friends, God's truth, his word is settled in heaven forever. Psalm 119.89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Have you ever noticed the next verse? After that, after he talks about in Psalm 119, verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. He says, thy faithfulness is unto all generations. That is, God's truth endures forever. Thou hast established the earth and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinances for all are thy servants. Now notice he says God's word is established and the universe continues to this day. The world keeps operating. But that's about to change. God's word will continue, but the universe, the creation, is about to be shaken. Verse 26 of our text. So he, he starts by saying this, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. Don't turn a deaf ear to God. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, that is, if people in the past turned a deaf ear to God and suffered the consequences, much more shall not we escape. Because the fact is we have a fuller revelation, a more complete revelation today through Christ than God's people have ever had in history. We know more truth. We have a broader grasp of ultimate reality that is progressive revelation in the Old Testament, here a little and there a little, has come to the point that God has given his full and final revelation, his last word in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega of God. He is the word of God, right? That's one of his titles. From A to Z, if you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. And what he's telling us here is that in the past, if people were required to take God's word seriously, we too in the present, because we have greater privileges, greater privileges require greater responsibilities. You and I too should take God's word seriously. For he says that the word of God then shook the earth. Now I want you to notice the past tense and the future tense in verse 26. Whose voice then, that is in the past, shook the earth. But now he has promised saying yet once more, future tense, I shake not the earth only, but also the heaven. There was a coming great earthquake. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Notice the power of God's word. No earthquakes have been around, I guess, since, uh, well, since the great flood. Since the earth divided and the great tectonic plates on which this earth sits were divided and 
if you've ever gone to the, uh, the United States Geological Survey website, you'll notice that that site shows a border map of the Earth's tectonic plates all over the Earth. Of course, there are plates on the western coast of the United States. We're all familiar with earthquakes in California. And those plates run all the way down into South America, Peru, and Chile. And, you know, they, they run all the way down. And all over the planet, there are these tectonic plates. And you'll see the border map of these uh, plates there at the USGS website. Jesus taught us that even though there have always been earthquakes, yet before he comes again, there will be an intensification of earthquakes. There will be more and more earthquakes. Matthew 24, verse 7 says that there shall be earthquakes in divers places. In different places, there will be an increasing intensification of earthquakes. That is, there will be a proliferation of, they will be more frequent. And interestingly, if you look at the USGS website, they list all of the, they don't list all of them, they list, they cherry pick their favorites. But they list the earthquakes that have taken place in the last 24 hours. For instance, yesterday I looked at it and there were 30 earthquakes registering 2.5 and higher on the Richter scale in the world on the USGS website. And most of them, interestingly, were proximate to active volcanoes. Now, that's an interesting thought in its own right. There were earthquakes in the Aleutian Islands, in the Solomon Islands, on Sandwich Island. I've always thought that was an interesting place. In Chile, in Hawaii, Alaska, Myanmar, Mexico, Southern California. And if you really want to see how many earthquakes there are, there's a YouTube fellow named DutchSense.com, Sense is spelled S-I-N-S-E, DutchSense, one word, dot com. And he doesn't just cherry pick, he shows you the activity in any 24-hour period all over the planet, and it is phenomenal how many, in fact there are millions of earthquakes that take place on this planet every year, and they're getting increasingly frequent. I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake. I don't ever remember feeling one. Some of you probably have. But uh, back in April of 2008, when I lived in Kentucky, there were people in our region, in our area, who said that they felt one. There was an earthquake that measured 5.4 on the Richter scale that struck southeastern Illinois on the northern end of the New Madrid Fault and tremors were felt in both the Missouri and the Ohio Valleys. And in, in the successive hours after that initial earthquake, aftershocks were felt, and it was all over the news in uh, my part of the country at the time. I was interested by a comment one person made. Someone said, it makes you feel when you're in an earthquake that everything is unstable. And it reminded me whenever I read that and had that experience of the accounts of the New Madrid earthquake in Elder Wilson Thompson's autobiography. I don't know if you've ever read the autobiography of Elder Wilson Thompson, who was a primitive Baptist preacher back in the early 1800s. It's a very interesting read. Let me just read you a portion. He said, this was December of 1811. The next Sunday night occurred those notable earthquakes that produced such eruptions on the Mississippi River about New Madrid, 
and which rent the earth with deep chasms in many parts of southern Missouri. Even where I live, large trees were broken down, fences and brick buildings were prostrated and much injured. My door hinges were loosened, and the back wall, which I had just put up, was shaken down. For three days and nights, the sun, moon, and stars were concealed by a mist and fog, which dropped like a heavy dew. While ever and anon, a hard shock would seem to threaten the world with destruction. All this commotion seemed to have no effect on me, nor give me any alarm whatsoever, I calmly viewed the phenomena as a matter of God's wise arrangement. I dare say he was probably unique. There were other people that weren't as calm, no doubt. But he said, I calmly viewed the phenomena as a matter of God's wise arrangement, and I pursued my daily business with a composed and contented mind. The next day after the first shock, I was building up my chimney of sticks and clay, and sometimes I would be upon it when a heavy shock would come, and to keep from being shaken off the top of the house, I would have to throw my arms around a log of the house <laughs> until the violence of the shock was over. All these things never moved me, he says, nor caused me to doubt for one moment, but that the Lord would speedily make bare his arm and his almighty power, revive his saints, and gather in his redeemed children. He's talking about a revival in the church, and that actually happened. In the Second Great Awakening, many of the churches began to see in gatherings as a result of people's shock at these natural catastrophes that were happening. I mean, it shook people up, these earthquakes. I can imagine. I've got some friends who live in Southern California, and they have earthquakes on a pretty frequent basis. And they say no matter how many times I've felt one, it still is an unsettling experience. It shakes you up. I can imagine. For nothing seems more permanent than the ground beneath us, right? When you look at the mountains and the planet on which we live, I mean, it seems like it'll be here forever. And there is a very strange kind of shock to the psyche that takes place when an earthquake strikes because, again, nothing seems more permanent and stable than the ground beneath our feet. It seems to be such a solid foundation that it's not supposed to shift and change. And when it does shift and change, it tends to make a person feel very vulnerable and insecure. What can I depend on if even the ground beneath me is unstable? It's important, my beloved, to understand that when we read the Bible, it teaches us there is an instability and a transitoriness that's inherent in our world. Everything around us changes, right? You see, I just wish things would stay the same. The fact is, nothing, as we sang just a moment ago, nothing on earth is sure. Vain hope soon dies. Think about how things can shift. The tectonic changes of the circumstances of life. Things change in our lives, don't they? Think about your life. People, each one of us ages, don't we? You say, I never dreamed I would have these medical problems. I didn't used to have these problems. Well, people change. Health changes. It breaks down. Kids grow up. Loved ones die. Relationships are altered. Companies close their doors. Organizations fold. Products become obsolete and they're replaced by new ones. Leaders retire. The hymn writer put it well, change and decay in all around I see. The earth, my beloved, 
is constantly trembling and shaking. Things are changing in our world, in our lives. Nothing on earth is sure. Vain hope soon dies. If you get nothing else from the Bible except that point, my beloved, then you've gleaned a very important life lesson that we cannot expect things around us to stay the same forever. There's only one kingdom which cannot be shaken. Our text says, Yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now, building an earthquake-safe structure is an increasingly popular thing in parts of the world where earthquakes are common. You know, I mean, engineers are constantly thinking of ways to make buildings earthquake-proof. Sometimes they put them on big shock absorbers (laughs) so they can sway without breaking. And it's an interesting science that's developing, and they're constantly trying to build things in a way that they can withstand the shocks of nature. But the fact is, my beloved, the most invincible building will eventually be shaken to the ground. For the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth as it now exists is going to be folded like a garment, like a vesture and put away. In other words, nothing in this world will stay the same forever except the kingdom of God. Something that cannot be shaken. And the king of that kingdom, as we read in the very next chapter, Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Does anything stay the same? The Lord does. Nothing on earth is sure, vain hope soon dies, but... The hymn writer says, things of the Lord endure. That's right. Things of the Lord stay the same. He satisfies. Oh, that we would learn that lesson. Wouldn't we be much happier and cease to put our stock so firmly in this world if we could just remember that nothing in this world will stay the same? People get older. We break down. We're like the grass. And I preach on this an awful lot, but I think people need to be reminded of it because we lose focus on just how transitory, how transient our world is. We start thinking, this building will last forever. My health will last forever. My family will always be at this point. And you know, as we get older, we learn that very few things stay the same. In fact, nothing stays the same over the long haul except the truth of God and the The character of our Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel and my beloved, what he's done for us. I'm telling you, we're headed for a country where the streets with gold are paved and the roses never fade. But right now, the roses fade. Right now, all flesh is as grass and as the flower of the field that withereth and dieth. I mean, it's it blooms one day, but the next day it's it's on the decline. So here's an important contrast between the things that cannot be shaken and the things around us that are inevitably going to be shaken again. So notice the past earthquake, verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth and then an ultimate or future shaking that's coming. There's a coming great earthquake. Where is safety to be found in the coming great earthquake? For this text tells us, yet once more, he's going to shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. 
There's coming a day, my beloved, in which the Lord's going to rattle not just the window panes. He's going to shake the earth off of its axis. <laughs> you know, when the great flood took place, there was a shaking of the earth. Genesis 6 through 9, the fountains of the great deep were broken up and there were great chasms developed on the planet. I mean, geography was transformed. It was a monumental, a mammoth kind of radical change that took place in the topography of the earth and in the atmosphere. There were changes that had long-term implications. In fact, it's impossible to fully understand geology and the world in which we live today if you don't factor in the catastrophe that the Bible calls the Great Flood. And that's what 2 Peter chapter 3 says, that there are scoffers in the last days who are willingly ignorant that the earth standing out of the water and in the water perished. The world that then was perished. They willfully deny it. They turn a blind eye to the possibility that the flood that took place has anything to do with explaining the way things are today. Instead, they're uniformitarians. They believe that the things that exist now have always been that way. So they measure the past by the present without considering that the flood changed everything. But you know, God really shook things up in the flood. Would you say that? Have you ever driven on I-40 going from uh, North Carolina, from Asheville, into Tennessee, going toward Knoxville, you know, and you go through the Great Smoky Mountains. Have you ever seen those rock formations, you know, where they've carved out a road, they've cut through the rock? Have you ever noticed that some of those rocks are angled at like a 45-degree angle this way, and then you go just a, you know, a few hundred yards further, and they're angled the other way? You say, what in the world? Why, why were those rocks angled diagonally in opposite directions? What in the world? Well, something happened to push them up. Right? Can you see that? Mountain ranges formed. Because of the great pressures, I'm telling you in the great flood, the Lord shook this earth off of its axis almost. His anger against sin, because every imagination of man's heart was only evil continually, and God destroyed it with a flood, was exhibited. The wrath of God was revealed from heaven in a very literal and physical way against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who held the truth in unrighteousness. And he saved only Noah and his family members. Eight souls were saved from the judgment upon the earth by water. And then he started over. It was, a, it was basically a new earth. It was a new creation. When Noah and his family stepped out of the ark, it was a new world. For God shook up the old one. You know, he shook the earth again at Mount Sinai. And I think that's really what this text refers to when he says, whose voice then shook the earth. Because you may remember earlier in chapter 12 of Hebrews, he's compared Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. And he says, at Mount Sinai, there were lightnings and thunders and voices and blackness and darkness and tempest and lightnings. You know, it was a very foreboding and ominous scene. You read about it in Exodus 19, verse 8. Uh, Exodus 19, verse 18, I should have said. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke <laughs> because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. You talk about an earthquake. 
And that's why the people around Mount Sinai were just terrified. And they said, Moses, don't let God speak to us. You know, see that you refuse not him that speaketh. Don't let God speak to us, Moses. But you listen to what he says and you tell us what he said. And uh, God said, okay, I'll agree to that. Moses acted as the mediator, bringing God's word to the people. But you see, the word was still just as serious as it would have been had they heard his voice directly. They did hear his voice directly at first, and it frightened them to death. So they wanted an intermediary to bring the message. Well, we have a message too, my friends. But you see, the God who spoke back then was serious about his word. And he said, brethren, be careful that you don't just dismiss his word out of hand. Because those people... When they heard it, they couldn't just dismiss it out of hand. His voice shook the earth, and it says they didn't escape when they turned a deaf ear to God's word. Neither will we escape, even though it may be a milder voice today. You know, he speaks with milder voice today, a pastoral rather than a prophetic voice. But yet it's still just as serious. God intends for us to take his word seriously. At Mount Sinai, God shook the earth. Psalm 68.8, I love this verse, says it like this. The earth shook, the heavens dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. (laughs) It must have been a terrifying scene. Then he says, yet once more, he saith. And by the way, this is a quote from Haggai. Chapter 2, verse 6, yet once more. Would you listen to this? I'll read the original quote, Haggai 2, 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. You want to talk about a 5.8 on the Richter scale? That's Mickey Mouse compared to what God's saying here. There's coming a day in the future, he says, through the prophet Haggai. Now, he shook the earth. At Mount Sinai, God says, I'm going to shake it again. And notice the context here. It's a messianic prophecies. He's saying when the Messiah comes, there will be another shaking. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. Do you know who the desire of all nations is? In Haggai 2.7, that's the Messiah. The desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than that of the former. If you know your New Testament, you know this passage is alluded to or quoted a few times in the New Testament, always referring to the coming of the Messiah, who would embody the glory of God. He is God manifest in the flesh. And he says, when the Messiah comes, I will shake all nations. Did you know when Jesus Christ came, my friends, God shook up the status quo with the coming of the Messiah? And there were changes, dramatic changes that took place in the way of worship. As the transition was made from the old to the new covenants, that transition was, socially speaking, comparable to a seismic shift in the Jewish economy. I mean, they changed from the temple to the hearts of God's people. They changed from Saturday Sabbath to the Lord's Day meeting with the church. 
They changed from animal sacrifices to the one sacrifice for sins forever, and it completely undid, or it was a complete upheaval of the old way of worship. The new covenant, my friends, was a restructuring of seismic proportions to these Jewish people. He shook it up, didn't he? But you know, this expression once more not only refers to the coming of the Messiah and the shaking up of the way of worship which God performed, but I think he's referring to the final day as well in this expression. The created order in its fallen state, my beloved, is unreliable. It's insecure. It's impermanent. Would you listen to a passage from Psalm 102, verse 25, where the psalmist says, Of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish. That's surprising. Because again, there's a tendency to think that it's been here forever, it'll be here forever, but what we see around us, my beloved, is, is impermanent. It won't stay forever. He says, they shall perish, but thou shalt endure. God remains. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou change them. Just like you take off your night clothes and fold them up and put them in the drawer. And put on another wardrobe. He says God is going to change like a garment. He's going to undo the created order. As a vesture he will change them. And they shall be changed. But thou art the same. And thy years shall have no end. The children of thy servant shall continue. Here's something that that will not change. God's children will keep going. They will live forever. And their seed shall be established before thee. What I'm saying, my beloved, is I'm trying to drive home this contrast. That the universe itself is transitory and passing, and there will be a final shaking. Matthew 24, 29, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus says that not only will the earth be shaken, but the heavens shall be shaken also. Jupiter, Pluto, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Mars, Mercury, Venus... The sun, the galaxies, the, all of the starry heavens, the Lord, you say, it's, it'll be here forever. It's eternal. It's not, my beloved. God's going to uncreate it. He's going to take the atoms and molecules apart. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The heavens that are now being on fire shall be dissolved. Now, I don't believe that this present universe will ever cease to exist because nothing that God makes is annihilated. It never ceases to exist. It'll be reformed. You may know that there are religions around us who say it'll be reformed and it will become the eternal abode of the righteous, you know, the kingdom of God. This earth will be reformatted and we will spend eternity here No, the Bible tells us there will be a new heavens, a new earth that comes down from above. So there's a new creation. This will not be our eternal abode. In fact, seeing that it will melt with fervent heat and it will never completely be annihilated, but it will burn forever. I suggest this may be, this present universe or created order may be the eternal abode of the wicked or the lake of fire. Where the worm will not die and the fire will not be quenched. It may be where the wicked spend eternity, but my friends, we will dwell in a new heavens and a new earth. Heaven 
if you please, the eternal abode of the righteous, the eternal state will be a world wherein dwelleth righteousness and it will never be uncreated or undone. It seems to be plausible to me that the present order, because it is surrounded by water right now, you know, it's a closed system. This universe, the heaven and the, the waters that be above the heavens, you know, praise him ye heavens and ye heaven of heavens and ye waters that be above the heavens. This universe is surrounded by water. It's a lake, if you please, that's going to be set on fire, a lake of fire. So I know there are people who knock on your door with their literature wanting you to come to their church. And I got a letter in the mail, a handwritten letter this week from somebody with, uh, you know, trying to evangelize me to, the, to that view, saying that the, you need to live so you can live in a paradise on this earth. I'm telling you that new heavens and new earth will be the paradise. This world is going to melt with fervent heat. It won't melt to the point that it disintegrates, that, it's, that it ceases to exist, but it will melt, my friends, so that it, is, it burns perpetually. You say, how can something burn without being consumed? Well, remember that burning bush Moses saw? It burned, but it was not consumed. It just it continued to burn and expend energy, but it was not itself consumed. Now, anyway, be that as it may, back to the ranch. This world, my beloved, is going to be disassembled. 2 Peter 3.10 and 11 says it like this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The heavens, that's the stars, the sky, the planets, the, they'll pass away, they'll change with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And by the way, there's some pretty fervent heat in the core of the earth right now. It's where these volcanoes come from. I mean, it is hot. And um, it's amazing that the molten lava, you know, these things explode and they reshape the territory around them. It's amazing what damage they can do. And he says, there's coming a day when the whole earth will melt with fervent heat and the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Don't live for this world, my friends. As far as your permanent gold is concerned, I'm telling you, it's all going to be burned up one day. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for these things, be diligent that you may be found of him without spot, in peace, and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. The very fact the Lord delays to do it right now, to burn it all up, is proof that he has a greater purpose, a greater plan. He still has children that need to be born of his spirit. And I'll tell you, when the last heir of grace is conceived in the womb, I think the Holy Spirit will quicken that little infant and they'll be born again. And the Lord will say, okay, it's, that's it. Let's, let's wrap it up. And what will continue, my friends, when this earth is on fire is the kingdom of God. What we're doing right now will be perfected. And we will praise him perfectly. And we will be with the redeemed blood-bought throng forever. You see, there's coming a final earthquake in which God shakes it all to pieces. And in the face of that stark reality that this life is temporary and transitory 
and unstable, let's remember there are some things that cannot be shaken. Note the contrast in the text between the things that are shaken and the things which cannot be shaken. Once more, he says, signifying the removing of those things that are shaken, verse 27, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. There are some things that will be removed, as verse 27 says, the removing of those things that are shaken, and there are some things that will remain. Those things which cannot be shaken may remain. And you say, well, Brother Mike, what are the things that cannot be shaken? They're all summed up in this single concept in verse 28 of a kingdom. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace. You know, all human kingdoms are temporary. The Roman Empire, do you know where it is today? Where's pagan Rome? It's been folded up. It once ruled the world. The Caesars ruled the world. When's the last time you heard about a Caesar on the throne? It, it, it's long since passed because that empire, that kingdom has been shaken. What about the Greek empire? Alexander the Great, as great as he was, was not ultimately great for he died and his empire fell. Napoleon Bonaparte, all of his worlds that he conquered, my friends, I'm telling you, they've gone back to other people. They've been left to other people. But you know, the Bible tells us, Daniel 2.44, in the days of the Roman Empire, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, which he did. That is, at the end of the Roman Empire, the tail end of these Caesars, God set up his kingdom, and he says, it shall never be destroyed, and it shall not be left to other people. That is, a re revolution will never take place where others will take over through some coup, the kingdom of God. It shall not be left to other people, he says, but it shall break in pieces. This nucleus will disseminate. This nucleus, nuclear kingdom will break in pieces and disseminate, and it shall consume all these kingdoms. In other words, God's kingdom aims to take over the world. You say Christianity is just a little, little private religion. This is just what we do, but we're not going to bother anybody else. I'm telling you, Jesus says that his kingdom, which starts like a little mustard seed, grows until it's a great tree and the fowls of the air come in. In other words, it's like leaven that's hid in meal until the whole is leavened. There is an assertive or an aggressive character to the kingdom of God. God intends his kingdom to grow until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. And my beloved, may I say at the second coming, that goal will be realized. Now, every time a little child of grace comes out of the world and bows the knee to Jesus, says, I want to be baptized, that's a gain. The kingdom is expanding its borders. King Jesus is ruling over another life. Every time one of his children comes out from among them and is separate and he joins the church, what a wonderful, happy thing that is because the kingdom is growing. But you know, there's only one ultimate king in this universe. He's not in Washington, D.C., and it's not in London, England, in Buckingham Palace, and it's not in North Korea, and it's not in China, and it's not at the head of the World Economic Forum, and it's not in any other political organization. There's only one king in this universe. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and his name is Jesus Christ. And one day, Revelation eleven fourteen says, The kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, because his kingdom will never fail. So in the days of these kings, God set up a kingdom, 
And he says, it shall not be left other people, and it shall never be destroyed. Neither shall it be left other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. It's a kingdom that cannot be moved. And part of that kingdom is to understand that the God who rules it does not fluctuate or change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word is permanent and stable and reliable. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Matthew 24, 35. His covenant and his redeeming love cannot be shaken or changed. You see, the things of the Lord endure. Romans 8, 38 says, Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our heavenly inheritance is secure and stable. It will never change. It's ordered in all things ensure. And he makes it not to grow. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the visible expression of that kingdom in this world, will stand the test of time. It will be unshaken by the tectonic shifts of society. As Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. My beloved, are you glad to be a part of something that will never cease to exist? Are you glad to be involved in a cause that is greater than all of the kingdoms of men? So therefore, do not fear. As Psalm 46 says, when the earth is removed and the mountains are carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters of the world shake and are troubled, yet we will not fear for God is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. And there is a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of God. What should be our response to this unshaken and immovable and permanent kingdom of God in the midst of a world that's changing, we should have grace. We should pray, Lord, give me grace that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. As we come to the end of Hebrews, we've got one more chapter, by the way, but as we come to the end of the main story of Hebrews, the last chapter is mainly a postscript. It's mainly an addendum, you know, but as we come to the end of the story that is the book of Hebrews, it came back to where it started. God has spoken. Don't turn a deaf ear to what he says. You listen to God because the world around you is going to be shaken up. It's all very unsteady and unreliable, but God's truth will stand forever. So let's listen to him, my friends, and let's be a part of his kingdom, and let's invest in it because it will stand forever.